0: Well, good evening. As the musicians are leaving the stage, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles or on your phones uh, to Galatians 4, uh, that's where our scripture is going to be from tonight. Also, it's going to be on the screen, so if you would rather just see it up there, you can as well. Uh, It's truly uh, a joy and honor to be with you all tonight uh, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, This night is a special one for many reasons. Uh, Many of you have big plans for tonight and tomorrow Uh, traditions to get to dinner, uh, gifts to open. I do too. I'm very excited. I love Christmas. Uh, But I believe that tonight God wants to meet us in this place. And He already has. As we've sung hymns and songs, as we've uh, said these prayers together, we've been celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. He's going to continue to meet us throughout the rest of this service. As we get home, as we fellowship with our family and friends. But I do think tonight, in this next 15 or 20 minutes, all of us together um, with our, our kids running around with us sitting in here, I do believe that the Lord wants to meet us here tonight. And I believe that because we, we have a God who sent his son to this place in the form of a human, as a baby. And he sent him here for a purpose, and we know that the the birth of Jesus, uh, as we celebrate it tonight, we know that it has both a horrific, but also world-changing and life-changing end to the story, do we not? Tonight we celebrate Jesus Christ who became man so that through his death and resurrection we may be saved and the whole earth redeemed. But one thing I want to focus on tonight, even more than maybe that glorious truth, I want us to focus on the fact that we have a God who came to this earth, who walked among us, who lived, died, and rose again so that we could be in relationship with Him. That is a powerful and amazing truth that Jesus Christ came to this earth so that we could know Him. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. When I was a a senior in college, uh, my roommate... And I decided uh, that we were going to lead a freshman Bible study. So it was one of those things where we, you know, we did all the leader training, all that stuff. Uh, freshmen came to school and they signed up to be in small groups. And uh, so we get our list of guys and we we're super excited about it. And we sent that first email out. Um, we had a place set up. We had a time. And every single one of the guys came. It was amazing. Except for one. He didn't show And it was one of those nights where we we really clicked, right? Uh, Like, we really got along well. We liked each other. Conversation was not awkward. It was free-flowing, things that you want. All of us were hoping, though, that the last guy, his name was Sean, would show up the next time. So I send the email out again for the next week, time and place, all of us. And I, I put Sean on the email, hoping he would come. Sean never shows the second time. So this time, after the meeting, I send him a direct email. He now doesn't respond. I copy him on the email to everyone again. We meet for the third time. We have another great time. Uh, He still doesn't show. So that night, I did something very creepy. I looked him up in the freshman directory for Clemson University. I found not just his name, but his dorm room. And I took... My roommate and the seven freshmen and we walked straight to his dorm room and we knocked on the door. (laughs) And this kid opens the door, looks at us, nine dudes right in front of him and he's like, what is going on? Who are you? And I was like, hey Sean, we're your small group. (laughs) I was like, We would love if you came to small group with us tonight. And he looked at us really funny. Obviously, that's a weird thing to do. Uh, But he said, okay, give me one second. Let me grab my stuff. He shut the door. I think he grabbed a jacket, maybe his Bible, uh, and he came with us. And I'll never forget that night because Sean told me months later how powerful that was for him that he had been depressed and sad and was having a tough transition to college, that he didn't want to hang out with people or go to small group uh, to the small group that he signed up on a whim. But the fact that all of us went to his door, knocked on it, all of us together pursued him and met him, wanted a relationship with him, helped pull him out of that depressed and anxious place that he was in. And it's because we came to him and wanted a relationship with him that changed him, that gave him hope. And this, this is exactly but so much grander on such a bigger, more magnificent scale that Jesus has done for us. Yes, Jesus, God himself became man and grew up just like a normal kid. He was perfect. He lived a life completely without sin. Yes, he came. He was a great teacher, leader, friend, and brother. He was the Messiah. He died on the cross for you and me so that we would be saved and live eternally with him. But what we're going to see tonight has vast implications for right here and right now. And it's this fact. Jesus came to earth so that we could be in relationship with him. The God of the universe wouldn't stop at anything. Not becoming like one of his own creations. And not even just walking on the earth he created not the sin that he was willingly taking on his back not the punishment that would come from that not even the death that he never deserved to die would stop god the god of the universe coming down and wanting to be in relationship with you and i'm going to read a passage from galatians now and it's going to be up here And, and as i do i want you guys to look for something Look for the ways Paul describes our relationship with Jesus and the intimacy that's, that's in it. All right, so this is Galatians 4, 1 through 7. It says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, Uh, look at this text just for a brief time together. I pray that you um, send your spirit as we know that it's here. Send your spirit into our hearts. Uh, illumine our hearts to your truth, your gospel, the hope that's there that only comes from relationship with you, Father. So go before us as we go through this text. Let's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So this is what this passage is all about in Galatians. Jesus came, he dies, he died and he rose again so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters so that we can know him intimately and truly. And so we're going to look at three responses to this tonight quickly. First, we must turn from the sin that hinders that relationship. Second, we must turn to the adoption that is the status of that relationship. And third, we must experience the spirit which is the gift of that relationship. So first, we must turn from the sin that hinders that relationship. So, so Paul starts out uh, this passage in Galatians using what one commentator calls rhetorical exaggeration. Essentially, what Paul is doing here is he's using an extreme metaphor to prove a point. He says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. He's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, what, what he's saying here is that the firstborn child is someone who owns and runs a big estate, is similar to a slave, similar, not the same, in that he works at the estate but doesn't get any of it, doesn't own any part of it yet. Uh, It's not his. Now, obviously, the heir of an estate will one day come into that ownership, right? And thus, uh, it has much more going for him. So what is Paul doing? He's reminding the Galatians, and he's reminding you and me, that we are heirs to something, We are heirs to the covenant promise of God that throughout the Old Testament said this, I will be your God and you will be my people. Paul is saying that before Jesus came, the people of God were just heirs to that promise. They were able to commune with God some, but it was limited through priests, sacrifices, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, There was a sense, a desire that there could be more, that there could be more of a relationship with God than what they were experiencing in that moment. But there was and is a big problem. Paul says this in verse three, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. He's saying we, as God's people, traded our inheritance for something else. We traded it for sin. And sin enslaves us. And this is why the people of God weren't able to experience the fullness of God in relationship. It's because our sin was a barrier that hindered that relationship. And that's why there had to be priests and sacrifices because God's holiness and our sinfulness. But what Paul's going to tell us is that because Jesus came as a human, the fact that he was born of a woman, God becoming man, is so that that barrier could be taken away forever our premise today is that jesus came so that we could be in relationship with him and there's only one thing that's going to hinder us from fully experiencing that relationship that's going to keep you from fully experiencing a relationship with god is our sinfulness and sin is perhaps better looked at if we're talking in relational terms right it's better looked at transgressing or breaking a relationship than it is transgressing or breaking a rule. Let me say that again. Sin is better understood as breaking a relationship than breaking a rule. So what does that mean for us? If it is our sin that hinders and breaks our relationship with Jesus. Sin enslaves. But we as God's people need to look to Jesus. Here's why. Because it's in Christ Jesus that we find freedom from that slavery. It's in Christ Jesus that we find our chains broken. Christ died so that we could be free. And we could be free from our enslavement and free to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. Some of you are here tonight and you feel distant from God. Some of you here tonight feel numb to God. Some of you here tonight are exhausted, anxious, maybe depressed. And some of that might be your sin, your own doing. Some of that is the brokenness and fallen nature of the world. Some of it is sin done to you by others. Sin, whether it's your own or whether it's done to you or it's the sin of the world, it's hindering your relationship with Jesus. But the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus wants all of it. He already died for it. And all you have to do is lay at his feet. God didn't become man to rid the world of some of the sin in it. He came to rid all of it. He didn't come to redeem part of you. He came to redeem all of you. He didn't come to this earth to partly pay for the sin that plagues his good creation. He gave up his place of status, his power, his might, And he became a child so he could grow up and pay the price that we both deserved and never could pay so that we could have freedom. Pastor Duquan puts it this way. Advent, the season that we are in, uh, is the greatest affirmation of human dignity. The word became flesh. But it's also the greatest critique of humanism. Christ came because fallen humanity could not save itself. Salvation is not from within, but from without. Not an inner light, but a light that has come into our world. So if you're feeling distant from Jesus in this Christmas season, and on this Christmas Eve, look to that baby who would grow up and die for your sins and for mine. Lay your sin, your brokenness, your anxiety, your family stress, lay it at his feet feel that relationship become vibrant. Feel it become new in ways you never knew possible. And this is not easy, especially if it's been a long time for you, but, but if you trust Jesus enough tonight to lay that at his feet and feel that relationship with him restored and refreshed, well, it may begin to feel a little bit like Christmas. And that brings us to our second point. So we've seen that Jesus came to this earth seeking us to be in relationship with us Because of this, our first point was that we must turn away from the sin that hinders that relationship. And now we're going to see that we must turn towards the adoption that is the status of that relationship. So verse 4 and 5 say this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Paul set up the inheritance metaphor earlier for a purpose. He was priming us for this moment, where he is essentially saying, You, the people of God, The church are no longer children. Your inheritance is here. You can have it. It's been sent and given to you. And it is Jesus Christ himself. And what this passage reminds us is that it could only be Jesus. Paul says he came in the fullness of time. And this simply means that when the time was exactly right, according to God's good sovereignty, he sent his son. And his son Jesus was born of a woman, which means he was human fully, but also fully God as we know. And he was born under the law. So the very thing, the law that was supposed to be a blessing to God's people, but because we transgressed it constantly, it became our curse. Jesus was born under it so that he could fulfill it in ways that we never could. And in that redemption through his death, we are adopted as his sons and daughters And our adoption as sons and daughters, it means a myriad of different things. But what it means primarily is that this. We have come into our inheritance that we were promised. That God had promised throughout history and that inheritance is this. It's light in a world of darkness. It's grace instead of punishment. It's righteousness rather than lawlessness. It's holiness instead of depravity. It's belonging instead of isolation. It's identity rather than confusion. And ultimately, it's a relationship with God, our Father. And it's in this removal of the curse of our sin through Jesus that we are simultaneously adopted as sons and daughters and given all the inheritance and blessing that comes from being claimed by God Almighty. Tonight, we've been talking about how God came to be in relationship with us. But to do so, he had removed the sin that enslaved us. In fact, the word redeemed here literally means to emancipate from slavery. Jesus didn't just come to visit earth. He came and broke chains. Jesus didn't come to just check out his creation. He came to redeem it as its rightful owner and king. Jesus didn't come just to gain a following. He came to claim his family. And here's what happens when we embrace this adoption. First, we begin to see ourselves differently. Here's what I mean. Often we think of our salvation in Jesus. We think about being bought with the blood of Christ, forgiven for our sins, and this is true. But if we stop there, we're only half saved by grace. That's how we're acting If that is where we end, we still live a life trying to earn and maintain that pardon that we have received through Jesus' grace. No, Paul wants to show us in this passage that our adoption means that Jesus came not to just remove our sins, but to do more, to give us all the blessings only he deserved. That's the second part of our salvation and adoption in Jesus. He pours out all of his blessings and his righteousness on each of you and on me. Tim Keller says that our salvation is not only like being on death row and then being set free from death row, but also like taking the Congressional Medal of Honor and putting it around our necks. One moment we were on death row ready to die, and the next moment Jesus has put the Congressional Medal of Honor on our necks. Dan Doriani puts it this way. When you start thinking about what this means, he says this, If God loved us while we were yet enemies, do you think he'll stop now that we are family? Do you think he'll stop now that we're family? No. He's looking at you and at me and those of us that have professed faith in him. And he says, I love you. You are my son and my daughter. There are some of you here tonight who really and truly know how needy you are. Some of you tonight are in a time of brokenness, sickness, despair, relationships falling completely apart. And this adoption and love in Jesus Christ is and can be a comfort to you. It's a comfort because you know that no matter what, you are Jesus's, and he is yours and he wants to lavish his love and his grace on you tonight. Some of you tonight perhaps see yourself free and autonomous, not having to answer to anyone or anything, living a materialistic and hedonistic life. If I'm being completely honest, I fall in that category. I like to be able to do stuff on my own and think I've got it all together. Figure stuff out on my own. Rely on my own talents, which fail me often, but I try to get by. If that's the case if you're in that boat as well. This reminder of your adoption can both be an offense and a challenge to reevaluate who you are and whose you are. Remember whose you are tonight. We all probably struggle with both, right? And embody both at different times. We know our need, and yet uh, often we neglect or deny our need. But all of us tonight, maybe we can look to Jesus Christ who became man so that we could be adopted into a real and intimate relationship with him. And that brings us quickly to our third point. It says this, our third point is this, we are going to see that we must experience the spirit, which is the gift of that relationship. Now there is a really cool Trinitarian thrust to these verses. And I'm going to read them to you again one more time. See if you see it. It says this, And because you were sons, God had sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. What Paul is saying here is that because Jesus came, because he came here and walked among us, because he lived and experienced the totality of humanity, and because he died, we have direct access to God the Father. Abba, that, that word Abba, it's the most intimate familial language that you could say. A lot of times it's talked about as if it's like the prattling of a child. It's actually not. It's in uh, Aramaic. It's a term of the most intimate way that you can address your father. And what Paul is saying to us tonight is that because Jesus came and died and sent the Spirit to each of us, the Spirit, which is a true gift of Christmas, we can have a direct an in intimate relationship with God the Father, because of Jesus Christ. That is the story of Christmas, is that Jesus came so that we could be in true relationship with God. That is a gift to each of us tonight. And I've mentioned this a couple of times to you tonight. Um, I've probably been reminded more in this Christmas season than any else that holidays, whether you're with family, or whether you're not, they are a tough time. But each of you, if you've professed faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God in you. Direct that, that spirit, that's what's crying out in you, saying, You have a relationship with God. It's crying out to you right now, saying that. And he wants to meet you there and wrap his arms around you and call you his son and daughter. Will you tonight allow yourself to relax into that embrace? Feel the embrace of the Father. The Spirit is a gift to us because it connects us to Jesus Christ. So tonight, I have one challenge for you guys. not a challenge. It's, it's a... Um, suggestion as you go be with your family tonight as you go be with friends tonight take one moment maybe of silence or in prayer to cry out abba father to feel the warm embrace of the spirit because of who jesus is and who god is take that one moment for him tonight together as we celebrate jesus christ Amen.